0: For another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, March 18th, 2010. Alright, gotta check my last notes here. Oh boy. <laughs> Alright, this is gonna be interesting. Gotta keep focused, focus, focus. focus. All right, that's in, this is out, that's in, maybe tomorrow. All right, got the final roster here. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Here's kind of a general idea. Is that there's a bunch of speculative so called theology floating around the church right now. And um, the thing is, is that when I see things floating, you know, I, my general inclination is to flush them. And I think that's a good idea to do when it comes to speculative theology as well. Speculative theology has its origin not in the Word of God, speculative theology has its origin in the dreams or the psyche of the person doing the speculating, okay? It's not a revelation from God. It's more or less a revelation of what's inside of that person. And so what's happened uh, to the American church as well as to large portions of the church around the world is is kind of almost, you know, it's very popular. It's a fad, if you would. Uh, to, you know, to dump and abandon what God's word clearly teaches and replace it in instead, in, re, re, replace the word of God instead with the imaginations, the speculative ideas, the weird concepts of that people are saying, you know, in the name of God, uh, you know, as if it's God's word. And it's not. For instance, let me give you an idea. Okay. I've used this uh, metaphor analogy in the past. I I think it's a good one, okay? I could say, listen, God, he I I listen, me and God have got an inside track. And uh what that means is is that, you know, God talks to me, you know, and he says things and he's revealed stuff to me that uh he, well, he may not have revealed he may not have revealed this to you, but the thing is is that if you are holy like I'm holy, uh, then God might talk to you also, and He might tell you things about himself that he hasn't even told me, but see the thing is is that you know in my daily conversations with God, one of the things He told me is is that his favorite food is uh, is grilled cheese sandwiches and and he likes them uh, he loves grilled cheese sandwiches and he likes them on rye bread of all things. Can you imagine that I mean, seriously, God likes grilled cheese sandwiches on rye. Who knew? I had no idea until he told me this, and now I'm sharing this information with you because God gave me an inside track. He told me that that's what he—it's what he said into my heart. He said this, and uh, therefore you—you could know this for a fact. God really, really, really likes grilled cheese sandwiches on rye bread, just one of His absolute favorite foods of all time. And by the way, cheddar, sharp cheddar is, is the, the cheese of choice for His uh, grilled cheese sandwiches. Now, as stupid as that sounds, okay, you're sitting there going.
1: He's a nut. What, what are you
0: talking about, Rose, God, liking grilled cheese sandwiches, where did you get this? Now, it sounds silly when I talk about grilled cheese sandwiches, right? But what happens is, is that that's exactly what's going on with different topics. So when you hear somebody saying, God told me this, or I think that God is like that, um, what they're doing is they're basically either claiming to get be getting direct revelation from God. And, of course, those of you who are not getting this direct revelation, maybe you just don't have enough faith. Maybe you're just not trying hard enough. Maybe, you, well, see, that's the thing. You know, as soon as that happens, then what's happened? You're now put under the bondage of the law. Well, I want God to talk to me, too. I want him to say things to me like he says to that other guy. <laughs> What do I? What do I need to do in order to show God that I, I I'm good? To, I'm good enough to hear from Him. Also, well, get busy, get cracking, do the you know X, Y, or Z or whatever. You see how that's kind of a thing of bondage? It's, listen, of all the billions of people who are currently living, and all the billions of people who've ever lived, there's really a handful of people with whom God has chosen to teach directly. Okay. And you, and that it's a very, very small list of people, minuscule compared to the entire population of all of the earth, of all of the human beings who've ever lived, okay? And the thing is, is that we have Jesus' stamp of approval on that small list of people. So I trust Jesus Christ, and he considered the Torah, the writings of Moses, and he attributes authorship to Moses. Uh, he considers uh, the Torah to be the word of God. Jesus put a stamp of approval on it. Jesus also put a stamp of approval on what are called the writings, as well as the writings of the prophets. Okay, So all of the Old Testament as we have it, Jesus put a stamp of approval on it, calling it the word of God, referring, it, re- t- referring to it as the word of God, quoting it as the word of God, and never once did he ever undermine it or challenge it or attack it or criticize it. Okay. and Jesus also promised his apostles those whom he instructed personally for 3 years that there you know that he would give them a, a miracle if you would of them being able to recall the things that he said and taught and put his stamp of approval ahead of time uh, on the writings that they would uh, eventually write as also being the authoritative word of God. Why? Not because words are authoritative, but because the words come from an authoritative source, and that authoritative source is Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus proved his authority regarding these scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament. He proved his authority to speak about such things by raising himself from the grave on the third day after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Okay? so the scriptures as we have them is the, the, the these scriptures are the only place that we can go where we can know with certainty that what we're getting is true revealed information about god listen god is in a completely different category than you and i and uh you know we would know nothing nothing really much about god at all except for what he's revealed to us. And so what we have in the scripture is a true, certain revealed word of God. And it hangs on the authority of Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection, bodily resurrection from the grave on the third day after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. It's got his stamp of approval on it. I can trust that. So When I read in the scriptures about God's character, the fact that he is infinite, that he's omnipresent, that he is loving, that he's kind, that he's just, that he's judging and forgiving, I can trust all of this revealed information that's found in God's word because of Christ's stamp of approval on the scriptures. As for these other folks that are getting these liver shivers, or claiming direct revelation, I don't know if I can trust them at all. In fact, so many times they open their mouth and they show that they don't really correctly understand what the gospel is, who Jesus is, and what he's done, and that they're teaching doctrines that are foreign to the scriptures and receiving revelations that are are, are preposterous. They're as silly as me claiming that God likes grilled cheese sandwiches. So when it comes to information about God, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust the guy who claims to be a man of God, who's getting all of this direct information from God, because apparently he's holy enough to be receiving all this direct information, or are you going to trust Jesus Christ? Those are your two choices. Who are you going to trust? Now, me, Uh, I, I don't trust nobody. I don't even trust myself. I trust Christ. I know that his word is sure. I can trust him. He rose from the grave on the third day after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, proving his claim to being the one true God in human flesh. I can trust that. As for these other yahoos running around the landscape, claiming to get all this direct revelation from God, or basically claiming... That their speculative ideas should be considered on par with god's word with god's revealed word, and that their the theologies that they're creating in their own minds are somehow should be considered on equal status with god's word, yeah, no, it's just not working for me nope, 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 if something that somebody claims about God in the name of God or claims in the name you know about God in the name of their whatever theological Opinings, oh, uh, it, it contradicts God's word, then I know that person's a liar. I can trust Christ. I don't think I can trust those other guys. And so that's why Scripture tells us to test everything. Test it against what? Scripture. <clears throat> All right. Enough of the monologue here today. All right, today's uh, edition of Fighting for the Faith, what are we going to talk about here today? Okay, I got an email. This is going to take a little bit of time to answer, uh, from Stefan in South Africa. He's got a very good email. We're going be, I'm going to be reading it and answering it, and uh, and then uh, that will probably take us to the first break. And then on the other side of the break, I've got a great op-ed piece by Al Moeller entitled Preachers Who Don't Believe, The Scandal of Apostate Pastors. This is a good op-ed piece. We're going to take a look at that. And then a weird story out of the, The Guardian in the UK. The headline reads, Tony Blair courts controversial U.S. pastor Rick Warren in bid to unite faiths. Let me read that again. Tony Blair, that's the former prime minister of uh, of the UK, uh, is courts controversial pastor Rick Warren in a bid to unite faiths. Weird. Um, We'll be reading that. Um, Sermon review today, then, in the second hour. And I've chosen this one for a very specific reason. The name of the sermon is Breaking Free from the Cage of Routine. Oh boy! <laughs> oh no! Oh, the bondage of routine. Yeah, the scriptures have nothing to say about the bondage of routine, but apparently, uh, Reverend Ken Johnson from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon, um, who is one of these guys who's getting direct revelation from God, uh, has he's got a sermon entitled that he just, I mean he just did this a few weeks ago called "Breaking Free from the Cage of Routine." And this is a sermon that is nominally based on uh, on Mark Batterson's book, Chase the Wild Goose. And uh, I chose it for a particular reason in that it really shows, I think it's a great demonstration of how not to handle God's word. And I'll kind of deconstruct what he's how he's misusing God's word as we go along. And uh, where he ends up is far, 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 far away from the scriptures. So... That'll be all kinds of interesting, but uh, stay tuned as we get into that. Um, So, uh, that's what we're going to be doing today. And by the way, by way of uh, reminder, two things. Saturday, um, Saturday the 20th, uh, it's what, today's Thursday. So, uh, in just a couple of days, at noon Eastern, I'm going to be holding a webinar on uh, biblical authority, uh, constitution or library and uh and uh, again it, it's well worth attending and if you want to attend um what I'll, uh the easiest way to do it is to follow my twitter stream uh it's uh, my my twitter name is uh pirate Christian, and uh i'm a few days ago i posted a link up to uh the registration page i'll repost another one on my twitter stream and uh, those of you who don't act, have access to twitter i'll make sure that by the end of today's program that there's a link to uh, you know, a, a basically a blog post entry at the Fighting for the Faith website so that you can click the link and uh, you know, attend this webinar. It's, it's mucho importante. Good topic, too, by the way. All right, so with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. Okay, Stefan writes from uh, South Africa. And by the way, he let's see here. let 's just go ahead and start reading. It says, I recently found your radio show via Lane Chaplin, and I'm really enjoying the recordings. I cannot listen live. I'm in South Africa. I, I get that. You know, t- time zone difference is half a world away. And uh, as we, <clears throat> we here in the frozen Midwest in the United States are easing into spring and uh, heading towards summer, they're heading the opposite direction. You get the folks down in South Africa, they're going from summer and heading into the fall. And so I don't know, does uh, South Africa have uh, m- mild uh, winters or do they have uh, some pretty harsh winters? I, I I just don't know. I've never been there. Anyway, I'm off topic. <laughs> he says, I'm amazed at how much God has protected us here in South Africa from the type of heresy that seems to flood your fair land. <laughs> don't worry, it's coming. <laughs> he says, uh, but they are trying their utmost to get get in here and Warren has made some progress with his purpose drivel. Uh, one thing that puzzles me is this, though. He says, often you talk about your sinfulness and how weak and sinful we are. Okay? And he says, now I agree with you as far as pre-conversion is concerned, but now that I'm saved through the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ, it appears to me that the Bible talks of me now being a saint and not a sinner anymore. Actually, let me put it to you this way. It's not an either or. Okay, It's a both and and uh i would uh, basically challenge you go take a look at romans chapter 7 and how paul describes himself and uh one of the things that you'll notice is it's written in the present tense he's not talking about how he were he's talking about how he am at the time that he wrote that okay and i know that's bad grammar i apologize i <clears throat> i take liberties and you know just to kind of help make points And one of the things that Paul says is that the things I don't want to do I do, the things I do want to do I don't do. Who is going to rescue me from this body of sin? And so um, the the Bible describes Christians as not exclusively saints and not exclusively as sinners. Okay. Instead, the uh, the the term that uh, the Latin phrase that was coined during the Reformation is that Christians are simul justus et peccator. And that means that we are simultaneously justified and sinners at the same time. We are sinner saints. Now, there is a time coming, there is a time coming when we will no longer say of ourselves, we are sinner saints. Okay, that time coming is really at, at the time of our resurrection from the dead on the last day when Christ returns will be like Christ we will no longer have to deal with this body of sin and continually have you know basically the 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 center of our christian existence you know existing under constant repentance uh, uh you know for our sins okay so when we look at the scripture it's both i'm going to give you a passage here shortly but i want to read a little bit more of your email and kind of t- uh, untangle some of your points here and then take you to a passage so if you if you want to get ready you can the passage i'm going to take you to is first john and we're going to start at chapter 1 but uh, let me continue reading your email though it says uh do i still sin answer y- well yeah you do and i'll show you that it says uh, well that word should uh, well that word should be used for, for sin i see that i am open to correction here uh, that the word should be miss the mark well that's kind of yeah, exactly if that's what a sin is. It's missing the mark. What's the mark? <laughs> the, the the perfection <laughs> demanded of us from God's law. Okay. Anyway, so we should be missing mark, which has a different connotation than sin. Actually, sin and miss the mark. That they're synonyms. It says, can I can I be in Christ and still uh, and and yet still be a sinner? Is that possible? Are you still a Christian? You sin today. <laughs> of course. Uh... Hank, it's not like when when you're baptized or when you come to faith in Christ that you magically no longer have a sinful nature that you deal with. Uh, No, we have to wrestle against our sinful nature daily and much um, until that day in which we are raised again. Uh, or we depart and be with Christ, you know, which is far better. But anyway, uh, do I still fall back into the ways of my old nature? You, you still have your old nature, so it's still doing what it wants to do. Yes, yes, I do, but it, it, but it is not considered a sin now that I'm a new creation and the old man is dead and I have a new nature. That's where you kind of yeah you, know, you fall you fell off the wagon there, Stefan. And uh, the issue is, is that, yeah, when your old nature kicks in and you disobey God's command, it's still considered a sin. <laughs> it's still considered a sin. Even though you are a new creation in Christ, you, sti- you still have not been raised from the grave. You are, your Your body hasn't been resurrected. And so as a result of it, we still struggle with our sinful nature. Um, he says, "Surely, though, if surely if I am still to consider myself in the same category as a non-believer and sinner, then what exactly is the good news for me or for anyone?" Okay, now I'm going to answer you. What we're going to do is we're going to take a look at. If you got your Bible, go to First John. The First uh, John. This is John's first epistle, and uh, we're going to begin at chapter one. Verse 1, I'm going to show you a few things, so get ready for a little bit of bi- biblical teaching. Paul, uh, John writes, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete okay who is uh, john writing to by the way he's writing uh, more than likely to the churches that he's uh was shepherding or you know was uh, teaching in, in and around Ephesus okay so this is a um, this is a letter to Christians not to nonbelievers but this is a letter to Christians okay and uh, by the way this particular letter this particular epistle was written in one of the first heretical controversies if you would. there was a in Ephesus there was a gnostic heretic by the name of Serinthus and uh, he was denying that, you know, that the, the Christ had come in the flesh. I mean, this guy was a flat-out Gnostic heretic. And uh, we learned from Eusebius uh, uh, that uh, in one particular occasion, uh, the Apostle John had gone to to the—they had houses, places that you would go to take a bath. And so he was at the public place where you would go and bathe. And Serinthus happened to be in there. And apparently uh, John, seeing that Serinthus was there— stormed out of uh this uh, bathhouse um naked and basically he's saying something to the effect of flee lest the, ha- lest the roof should cave in because Serentus is in there uh you know by the way the apostle John uh was not a universalist and uh, doesn't didn't uh, resemble any of the uh, emergent universalist guys like McLaren at all and uh, so this letter is written against some of Serenthus's heretical statements, and so right off the bat, it, this takes on a polemical air, where where the Apostle John is saying that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of Life. The Gnostics would, you know, they the, the material world is evil, and uh, the spirit is the good thing, and they have all this secret knowledge, and so they they the Gnostics would deny. That the Messiah was in flesh, and in fact, as Gnosticism developed, I mean, there were, you know, the Gnostics denied that Jesus even left footprints, and so you know, that's how how ridiculous this got. So John is writing against this. Now, let me continue, verse five. Now, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you: that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we do we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin now pay close attention to this portion stefan he says if we say we have no sin who is this written to christians if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar; his word is not in us. Okay. Now, chapter two it says, "My little one, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not." Only, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, I'm going to point something out here. Um, you know, John, the, the, I, want to, I want to make something clear. One of the reasons why people misinterpret this letter is because this letter itself, this epistle, is written kind of in a circular fashion. There's a particular theme that he's circling around. Okay, And when I'm going to show you this, I'm going to show you this real quick. There's two things. Uh, one, the word for keep. And I'm going to point something out here. This is really interesting. Um, uh, okay. And if we keep his... Uh, uh, there it is. Um, uh, uh, tereo. Uh, men is, is, uh, is the... Uh, is what it's in. Hang on a second here. Let me pull this up. Uh, the Greek word for keep here, tereo. There we go. It means to retain in custody, to keep watch over or to guard. Okay, a lot of times when we read this passage and we we say, if we you know, uh, it says he is a propitiation for our sins and not only for us but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We hear this in our ears and we say, keep his commandments. We we know him if we keep his commandments. Ah, I break his commandments every day. Maybe I don't know him. It's different than the word obey. Okay, keep his commandments. Okay it means to retain in custody keep watch over to guard his commandments okay to preserve reserve hold okay it's different than the word obey but it still has this implication that you know that you're keeping god's commandments in high high regard and that's exactly what's at the heart of this here john isn't saying that uh, that you lo- you know him if you are sinless it's not what he's saying why because in the context here just going back a few verses, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Every sin is a disobedient act against God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. This is you know. So this sets the context. John is not being schizophrenic here. What's he talking about? He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That means to guard them, hold them in esteem to practice them, understanding that we are sinful. And so every time we sin, we come back and we confess our sins and receive Christ's forgiveness. But again, also, there's more to it here, and I'll show you this from a cross reference in the epistle itself. But I want to point out one more thing. Okay? And by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him. But, but whoever keeps his word... In him truly the love of God is perfected. By this that we we may know that we are in him. So watch what he does there in verses three and four. He he says, keep his commandment, keep his commandment, keep his word. He expands it out to his word. So it's this idea of keeping and guarding and cherishing, preserving, holding on to, practicing, believing, trusting, clinging to. God's word and his commandments. This isn't written ab- against people who struggle with their sin on a daily basis and c- and live continually under the shadow of the cross and repentance and the receiving of the forgiveness of sins, because that's what he described just a couple of verses ahead. Keeping God's commandments, keeping his word, literally means to believe in and trust in Christ and to hold the word of God in esteem. Now I can prove this. Here, let me give you a cross reference within the passage itself. Okay. Um, let's see here. I think it's in chapter five. There we go. <clears throat> what happens is as you read the letter, Paul is circling around not Paul, John is circling around a particular theme. This is kind of a circular thought letter, if you would. But when we get then we get to John 1 John chapter 3. Remember, keep his commandments. We know this if we keep his commandment. Verse 23 is the important one. Let me read it out of context, and then I'll put it back in context. And this is his commandment. Okay? So, John here, we know that we are in him if we keep his commandments. We keep his commandment. We keep his commandment. That means to guard, protect, hold, cherish, practice. Okay? And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another just as he has commanded us whoever keeps his commandments abides in god and god is in him and by this that we know that he abides in us by the spirit so there you go okay now let me put it back in context 1 john chapter 3 verse 19 by this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him, for whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. Love one another. Loving one another. By the way, we've been set free from sin, death, and the devil, and we're now set free to love and serve in our neighbors. That's what it, you know. Those are the fruits of the Holy Spirit in our life. So those are what it, That's what it means to have a. That, that's what good works are. What does Ephesians chapter two verses eight, nine, and ten said? For we are, uh, uh, if we are saved by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And here we've got almost a similar passage this is his commandment we believe in the name of his son jesus christ and love one another believe which is a gift good works is loving one another they go hand in hand so here first john i mean it makes it perfectly clear and it's not equivocate it's not equivocating it's not mysterious language it's straightforward language that basically says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And Paul and John says, my little children, I write these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So there you have it. Christians sin daily. Sin much. If we say we're not sinning, we're lying. We're deceiving ourselves. Confess and receive the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ is what Uh, the Apostle John would admonish us to do. One of the things I'm going to do here, um, well, you know, I'm going to save this for a different edition of Fighting for the Faith. But anyway, I hope that answers your question, Stefan. I've got another thing that, listen for in the next couple of days, either tomorrow or Monday, I'm going to be uh, talking about a document that is basically a self-examination and reflection of your life based upon the Ten Commandments. So like, stay tuned, and uh, this this is one of those documents that it'll expose you to your sin like you wouldn't believe, and uh, worth reviewing and and reflecting and meditating on it in light of, you know in light of God's Ten Commandments, and what's the solution to uh, to this when you discover you're a sinner? Christ and Him crucified for your sins. So the Christian right now we are in the tension of now and not yet we are sinner saints and our hope our great and glorious hope the good news for us is that christ forgives us our sins and our hope is for the resurrection when christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead we will not have to shirk back and shrink away from him in shame but we'll be able to run to him in joy and 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 you know and he is not going to Say away from me. He's going to embrace us, hug us, love us, you know, and he's going to resurrect us from the dead. And, you know, and we're going to have a face-to-face relationship with God directly for all the eternity. And so right now, it's the now and the not yet. It's the is and going to be. That's where we are right now as Christians. And it's a tension that we that isn't resolved e- until either our death or until Christ returns so we christians sin daily and we sin much and christ is greater than our sins confess your sins and be forgiven trust in the forgiveness of sins that's what the that's what the the christian life is all about daily repentance daily forgiveness of sins for me for you for everybody and listen when i talk about how weak and sinful i am yeah uh, listen that's that's all of our states if you really truly understand what god's law demands of us you realize Just how weak and feeble um, we are. And worse, all of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. I have no righteousness of my own. None. And the good works I do, they're not for me or for Christ or for my neighbor. And I'm set free to do those things. And it's wonderful. And it's easy. It's freeing. It's not hard. It's just a natural thing to do. All right. We are up on our... um, first break if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on facebook it's facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or you can follow me on twitter my name there pirate christian we will be right back
1: Circus Church! Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes, uh, What what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon, that's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once. Not even in the footnotes.
0: No. no, no. You just weren't charismatic
1: enough. Remarkable sermon. Beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. Yeah. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room-temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, Now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to mean its maker. It's a stiff, bereft of life. It burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for fire starter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well,
0: well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. here, uh, Christ-centered, uh,
1: gospel, Jesus. Uh, uh.
0: Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well, we're we'll right out of, well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see.
1: I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it?
0: Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian
1: Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio... Very well. I'll give them a try.
3: <laughs>
0: the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. Morning, being a Christian does not mean that you are sinless this side of Christ's resurrection and his, uh, his return, sorry. All right, I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is a listener-supported radio. That means that uh, we survive off of your partnership with us financially. And uh, the way you can support us financially is by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there... Click on one of the buttons. There's two friendly yellow buttons there. One says join our crew, and the other says donate. Now, the join our crew button, when you click on that, it'll take you through a series of screens, and what you're doing is signing up to have it so that uh, $6.95 is automatically uh, transferred from your account to uh, Fighting for the Faith's account on a monthly basis. It's that, I mean, that's like nothing. We're talking about... Uh, a week supply of macaroni and cheese for a college student. That, that, that's what we're talking about here. And But it means the world to us because when we get to 1,000 listeners who've joined our crew, then that ensures that on a month-to-month basis uh, we have the minimum operating uh, capital that we need to pay all of our bills. And uh, that's kind of an important thing because uh, staying out of the red ensures <laughs> that we can continue because we don't have any fudge room whatsoever as far as going into debt or anything like that. That's just not one of the things we have. And uh, so if you haven't joined our crew, please do so. When you join, you can have access to our Pirate Cove, a growing treasure trove of theological resources designed to help you grow deeper in God's Word, Christ-centered apologetics, and uh, theology. And, of course, uh, if you would like to send in a contribution uh, to us financially and like to fill in that amount you know, as to how much you'd like to do so, you can do that by clicking on the Donate button. It allows you to fill in the blank as far as how much you'd like to contribute to Fighting for the Faith and Pyre Christian Radio. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to post office box five zero eight Fisher's Indiana zip code four six zero three eight want to remind you all tomorrow sermon review tomorrow is interesting, kind of a trip down memory lane if you would um i've got i 've come to be in the possession of a sermon from Doug Paget where he preaches the gospel really well <laughs> you're thinking what doug Paget? yeah, it was before the whole emergent thing. And so it, it, it kind of shows you just how far off course he's been blown theologically. And so uh, you get to hear Doug Paget preach the gospel to you tomorrow. You don't want to miss that. All right, uh, time for, uh, well, from the Albert Moeller uh, web blog, albertmoeller.com, headline reads, Preachers Who Don't Believe, The Scandal of Apostate Pastors. Yeah, you got to listen to this one. Albert Muller writes, he says, Are there clergy who don't believe in God? That is the question posed by a new report that is certain to receive considerable attention, and rightly so. Few church members are likely to be disinterested in whether their pastor believes in God. The study was conducted by the Center for Cognitive Studies at Tufts University. That's T-U-F-T-S, Tufts university under the direction of daniel c dennett and uh, linda la scola dennett of course is one of the primary figures in the new atheism the new uh, newly aggressive and influential atheist movement that has gained a considerable hearing among the intellectual elites and the media dennett is a cognitive scientist whose book breaking the spell suggests that belief in god must have at one point served an important evolutionary purpose granting an evolutionary advantage to those who had some belief in an afterlife as compared to humans without such a belief. The reality of death, Dennett surmises, might well have been the precipitating factor. In order to make life meaningful in the face of death and this and thus encourage reproduction, Dennett suggests that primitive humans invented the idea of God in the afterlife. Now he argues that we have no more need of such primitive beliefs. Okay, just... <laughs> this doesn't have anything to do with non-believing pastors uh but just want to point something out. Um I I I'm a red-blooded American guy and um somewhere uh j- late junior high early um um uh, high school um hormones kicked in. Girls became interesting rather than icky. I no longer thought they had cooties. I thought they were kind of cute. And so I personally uh, had no. Listen, hormones make it so that we don't need a God. You know, this, this theory regarding it, you know, Dennett's theory as to why we needed God you know, to encourage reproduction. Yeah, any red blooded human being uh, has no problem whatsoever needing help or encouragement on the reproduction front. Just saying. Let me continue. I'm off topic. Interestingly, Dennett also proposes a new interpretation of theological liberalism, noting that many modern people claim to be Christians while holding to virtually no specific theological content. He's right. Dennett suggests that their their mode of faith should not be described as belief, but rather as believing in belief. Hmm. Given Dennett's own atheistic agenda, we can rightly assume that he would be thrilled to see Christian uh, ministers and believers abandon the faith. Indeed, the new atheists have made this a stated aim. Thus, this new research report, preachers who are not believers, should be read within that framework. Nevertheless, it must be read. This report demands the attention of anyone concerned with the integrity of the Christian church and the Christian faith. Dennett and La Scola undertook their project with the goal of looking for unbelieving pastors and ministers who continue to serve their churches in secret disbelief. Their small and self-selected sample of ministers represents a microcosm of the theological collapse at the heart of many churches and denominations. In their report, Dennett and La Scala present case studies of five unbelieving ministers from three liberal denominations, the liberals, and two from conservative denominations, the literals. Wes, a Methodist, lost his confidence in the Bible while attending a liberal Christian college and seminary. Well, there's a shock because all the uh, liberal colleges and seminaries seem to be preoccupied with destroying uh, any confidence that anybody might have in the Bible. Quote, I went to college thinking Adam and Eve were real people. By the way, Jesus does believe that Adam and Eve were real people. And he even you know, pretty much says that so we can trust Jesus. But we move along here. Uh, Wes says now he no longer believes that God exists in, in his rendering God is a word that can be used very expressively in some of the more meditative modes and a kind of a poetry that is written by human beings. Wow. His church members do not know that he is an atheist. (laughs) Whoa. But he explains that they are somewhat liberal themselves. His ministerial colleagues are even more liberal. Uh, They've been demythologized, I'll say that. They don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, literally, Uh uh-huh. They don't believe Jesus was born of a virgin, check. They don't believe all those things that would cause a big stir in their churches. Rick, a campus minister for the United Church of Christ, perhaps the most liberal Protestant denomination, was an agnostic in college and seems to have lost all belief by the time that he graduated from seminary. (sighs) Yeah, when it makes you wonder, what are they doing at seminaries? He chose ordination in the UCC because it required no forced doctrine. Even as a, as he graduated from seminary, he knew, quote, I'm not going to make it in a conventional church. He knew that he could not go into a church and teach his own theological views based on Paul Tillich and Rudolf Bultmann. He did not believe in the doctrinal content of the Christian faith from the beginning of his ministry, quote, I did not believe the traditional things even then. He does not believe, quote, all this creedal stuff about the incarnation of Christ or the need for salvation, but he remained in the ministry because, quote, these are my people. This is the context in which I work. These are the people that I know. In the pulpit his mode his mode is to talk as if he does believe because as long as you're talking about God and Jesus in the Bible, that's what they want you that's what they want to hear. You're just phrasing it in a way that makes sense to them, but language is ambiguous and can be heard in different ways anyway. (laughs) Oh, man. He doesn't like to call himself an atheist, but, quote, if not believing in a supernatural theistic God is what distinguishes an atheist, then, well, then I'm one too. Daryl is a Presbyterian who sees himself as a progressive-minded pastor who wants to see his kind of non-doctrinal Christianity given validity in some way. He acknowledges that he is more a pantheist than an atheist and thinks that many of the more educated members of his church hold to the same liberal beliefs as his own. And those beliefs or unbeliefs are stated clearly, quote, I reject the virgin birth. I reject the substitutionary atonement. I reject the divinity of Jesus. I reject heaven and hell in the traditional sense. And I'm not alone. What are these people doing in the church? Good night. amazingly Daryl is candid about the fact that he remains in the ministry largely for financial reasons (laughs) oh man it's how he provides for his family so if he openly espoused his beliefs I may be burning bridges in terms of my ability to earn a living this way Adam ministers in the Church of Christ, a conservative denomination. After years in the ministry, he began to lose all theological confidence. After reading a series of books, he became convinced that the atheists have better arguments than believers. He has moved fully into the atheistic mode, yet he continues to lead his church in worship. How? Quote, here's how I'm handling my job on Sunday mornings. I see it as as play acting. I see myself as taking on the role of a believer in a worship service and then performing. This atheistic agnostic says in the stays in the ministry because he likes the people. And quote, I need the job still. If I had an alternative source of income, he would take it. He feels hypocritical, but no longer believes that hypocrisy is even wrong. John is is identified as a Southern Baptist minister who has primarily served as a worship leader. He was attracted to Christianity as a religion of love, but his pursuits of Christianity quote brought me to the point of not believing in God. As he explains, I I didn't plan to become an atheist. I didn't even want to become an atheist. It just had no I just had no choice, if I'm being honest with myself. He's clearly not being honest. With his church members, he rejects all belief in God and all Christian truth claims out of hand. He's a determined atheist. Once again, his unbelieving minister, his unbelieving minister admits that he stays in the ministry because of finances. Amazingly, this minister even names his price. If someone said, here's $200,000, I'd be turning my notice in this week saying a month from now is my last Sunday because then I could pay off everything. You want to get this guy out of your church? You want to get this atheistic worth worship leader out of your church? Just give him two hundred grand. Early in the report, Dennett and La Scala point to a problem of definition. Many churches and denominations have adopted such fluid and doctrine-less identities that determining who is a believer and who is an unbeliever has become, well, difficult. Their statement deserves a close reading the amb- this is a quote the ambiguity about who is a believer and who is an unbeliever follows inexorably from the pluralism that has been assiduously fostered by many religious leaders for a century and more god is many different things to different people and since we can't know if one of these conceptions is the right one we should honor them all this council of tolerance creates a gentle fog that shrouds the question of belief in god and in so much interdeterminacy that if asked whether they believed in God, many people would sincerely say that they don't know what they're being asked. In other words, some theologians and denominations have embraced a theology so fluid and indeterminate that even an atheist cannot tell the believers and the unbelievers apart. Quote, Preachers Who Are Not Believers is a stunning and revealing report that lays bare a level of heresy, apostasy, And hypocrisy that staggers the mind. In 1739, Gilbert Tennet preached his famous sermon on the danger of an unconverted ministry. In that sermon, Tennet described unbelieving pastors as a curse upon the church. They prey upon the faith and the faithful. These caterpillars labor to devour every green thing. That's right. That's a great I'm gonna have to find that sermon. Good night. If they will not remove themselves from the ministry, they must be removed. If they lack the integrity to resign their pulpits, the churches must muster the integrity to eject them. If they will not out themselves, it is the duty of faithful Christians to out them. The caterpillars are hard at work, such as McLaren, by the way. Will it take a report from an atheist to awaken the church to the danger? Apparently so. Even though these atheists have put this report together, I doubt that many people are going to even bat an eyelash. All right, talking about caterpillars uh, eating away green leafy things, uh, the from The Guardian uh, in the U.K., from their Observer section of their newspaper, headline reads, Blair courts controversial U.S. pastor Rick Warren in bid to unite faiths. Well, right off the bat, I just have a simple question. What communion does light have with darkness? Now, you're sitting there going, well, Chris, that's a harsh way of putting it. Funny enough that you would say that if you're saying that, because uh, that's exactly how the Bible speaks. These are not my words. These are biblical words. What communion has light with darkness? None at all. So, in other words, we can't, as Christians, unite with other faiths, like Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Jainism, Taoism, uh, name the isms. We can't unite with other faiths. And yet, Tony Blair, former Prime Minister of the UK, is courting uh, Rick Warren in his bid to help unite the faiths. Well, apparently he's gone to the right guy. <sighs> uh-huh. Uh, The former prime minister builds network of Christian allies as he prepares to launch a religious offensive in North America. Let me read a little bit of this. Tony Blair is preparing to launch a faith offensive across the United States over the next year after building up relationships with a network of influential leaders, uh, religious leaders and faith organizations with Afghanistan and Iraq casting a shadow over his popularity at home. Uh, in Britain, Blair's focus has increasingly shifted across the Atlantic to where the nexus of faith and power is immutable, and he is feted like a rock star. Wonderful. <laughs> According to the annual accounts uh, of the Tony Blair Faith Foundation, a U.K.-based charity that promotes cohesion between the major faiths, oh, good night. the foundation is to develop a U.S. arm that will pursue a host of faith-based projects. The accounts... Show that his foundation has an impressive and, in at least one case, controversial set of faith contacts, sitting on a sum of uh, 4.5 million pounds in funds. As that's British currency, as of April last year, most mostly gathered through donations, it is now well placed to make its voice heard. The foundation's advisory council of religious leaders include Rick Warren. Powerful church, uh, founder of the California-based Saddleback Church. It attracts congregations of nearly nearly 20,000 and is reportedly one of the largest in the U.S. Warren, who has addressed the U.N. and World Economic Forum in Davos, has been named one of the 15 world leaders who matter the most and one of the 100 most influential people in the world. His influence was confirmed in December 2008 when Barack Obama chose him to give the invocation at his presidential inauguration. But the decision angered many liberals who see Warren as an opponent of gay rights and abortion on demand. A prominent alliance with Warren is likely to attract similar attacks on the former British prime minister. Also uh, uh, also on the council is David Coffey, president of the World Baptist Alliance, uh, Baptist World Alliance, sorry, a Virginia-based network of churches that spans the globe and is particularly active in the U.S. Another initiative has been to team up with Belinda Stronach, uh, the Belinda Stronach Foundation in Toronto, unknown to the, in the U.K., Stronach, daughter of a Canadian billionaire, is hugely influential in Canada, where as a, philanthro- a philanthropist, businesswoman, and former politician, she has served in both conservative and liberal parties, attractive and barely into her 40s. Media commentators have dubbed her Bubba's Blonde, a reference to her friendship with Bill Clinton. Uh, according to the accounts, Blair intends to open an office in Toronto to develop the, the relationship. His desire for North America is to be the focus of his faith-based operations uh, was confirmed by the decision to hold his foundation's inaugural event in May 2008 in New York for the charity's key partners and religious stakeholders. So, um, um, yeah, he's embarking on an interfaith service and wants Rick Warren to help him unite the faiths. Great. Well, call me an old fogey if you would, but I will not be participating in any initiatives to unite Christianity with any of the other faiths. Hopefully, you feel the same. All right, we're up on our second break, and when we come back, it'll be our sermon review time. Our sermon review is entitled Breaking Free from the Cage of Routine. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, Jesus was beaten, scourged, whipped, uh, crucified naked on a cross so that you can be set free from the cage of routine, apparently. Um, this is from the Reverend Ken Johnson, Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. It's a doozer as far as how he uh, he mishandles God's word. Definitely worth listening to. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on facebook it's facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or you can follow me on twitter my name there pirate christian we'll be right back
1: This is a frenzy turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to pirate?
0: Christian Radio Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk to you about auto insurance. As the father of two teenage drivers, I know how expensive auto insurance can be. But as expensive as auto insurance is, it's nothing compared to the cost of not having it when you need it. That's why I'm excited to have Allstate Insurance as one of Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertisers. Did you know that drivers who switched to Allstate saved an average of $396 per year compared to what they were paying other companies? Now, I don't know about you, but I think $396 is a lot of money in these tough economic times. Why don't you give Allstate a call and see how much they can save you? You can reach them toll-free at 877-246-1511. Again, that's 877 246 1511. The good folks at Allstate will be happy to give you a free quote over the phone. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate.
3: <laughs>
0: the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap... That web address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Hour number two, fighting for the faith straight ahead. It's our sermon review time, and this is like a quintessential sh- sermon on how not to handle the Bible. You start in the wrong place, you'll end up in the wrong place. And unfortunately, what this guy is doing is not innocuous. There's danger to it. So let's uh, cue up our sermon review music here. Hang on a second here. Ha <laughs> ha The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Yes, that smell that you smell coming from your MP3 player is the smell of rotting sermon. That tells you that we've got a real stinky one lined up for you today. Uh. If you don't laugh, you're going to cry. All right, today's sermon is entitled, Breaking Free from the Cage of Routine. (laughs) Oh, no. The Cage of Routine. Gasp. The last thing I want to have to do is get up at the same time every day shave my face the same way every day, get in my same car, drive to the same work,
1: park in the same spot, work in the same cubicle, eat the same sandwich for lunch, and then get back in my car at the same time, drive in traffic all the way home,
0: watch the same movies, eat the same meal, go to bed and do it all over again, oh it's a cage, Yeah. By the way, the Bible nowhere talks about routine as a cage. Believe it or not, you can be a Christian and um, live in a routine. It's not sinful whatsoever at all. Waking up early, going to work, doing the same thing every day, not sinful at all. In fact, Christianity being saved having your sins forgiven in Jesus Christ, got news for you. It is for anybody. Jew, Greek, slave, free, somebody who lives in a routine, somebody whose job doesn't have a regular routine, but there's a lot of spontaneity and unpredictability to it. Both people can be saved. Now, Jesus didn't come to save you from routine. <sighs> Let's kill the music. All right, so here's the deal. Why did I pick the sermon? Why? Because it's quintessential. It's just the perfect example of how not to handle God's Word. What do you need to be listening for? All right, well, first and foremost, you'll notice right off the bat, where the sermon goes wrong is from the word go. I mean, as soon as the sermon begins, it begins in the wrong place because it doesn't begin in the Word of God. It begins in... Really, the imagination of the pastor as to you know what he thinks is is this cage, but even you know, and where does he get this idea from? Well, he just read Mark Batterson's book, "Chase the Wild Goose," and so I want you to listen carefully to how he starts in the wrong place. As a result of it, he is having the Bible address a problem that the Bible doesn't address, and the only way he can make the Bible address this these this problem that doesn't exist in the Bible is to Take liberty with the text, if you would, and uh, basically allegorize and spiritualize these texts and make them say things that they don't say at all. Okay. The pastor, by the, na- by the way, his name is Reverend Ken Johnson. The pastor the church is Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. So without any further ado, <laughs> here is Breaking Free from the Cage of Routine.
2: Well, we're going to talk today about
0: routine.
2: You know, uh, it's, it's so easy. I think we tend to gravitate toward routine.
0: Oh, no! Gravitation towards routine? It sounds terrible!
2: For instance, if time were not a variable, and you got here at the same time, which would be early, wouldn't it, every 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 week, would you park your car in the same place and sit in the same seat if it were available?
0: I just might do that. Oh, no.
2: How many would say, yeah, I'd do it. Okay, so even that, there's a tendency toward routine. I got to thinking about routine this week, and I realized I have a routine for shaving. Gasp! Yes.
0: humanity he has a routine for shaving oh avert your eyes children don't look don't look
2: i shave with a straight razor and every morning i get hot water put it on my face get a little shaving cream and i shave these two little alcoves here First, I get those, and then, and then I shave this side over to the sideburn, and then I shave not, I shave this side down here, just down with the edge here, straight down, and then I shave this side over to the sideburn, and then I shave this side straight down, and I save this part for last because by then I'm usually awake, and, uh, maybe I won't <laughs> slip my throat. So, I, you got a routine for shaving, I've been doing that for years, and, and, and then I thought of the routine I've had for nine years of, getting up in the morning and and having devotions. Not that I never did it before, but it's been...
0: Oh, no, the routine of having devotions every day? Oh, what are we going to do?
2: And ...become a non-negotiable for me. And, and sometimes I exercise first, and sometimes I do my uh, journaling first, but that's become part of my routine. It's so easy to just kind of give yourself
0: to a routine. I... Oh... I just can't believe what I'm hearing here. Oh, a routine. This is terrible. Holy bat barf, Batman. Somebody call the cops. I archery
2: hunt and I like to hunt for elk. And if you know much about elk, you know that they tend to bed low and then feed uphill in the morning because the wind's coming down and they can see behind them danger. And then they can smell any ambush ahead of them. And then about 9 or 10 o'clock, the wind shifts and starts to come up the hill, and they'll feed back down where they'll get water and go to their bedding. It's a routine. I guess they're creatures of, what do we say? Habit. I think we all are.
0: Oh, no, we're just like elks. Oh, <laughs> I just, I'm just i cut to the quick here. Routines
2: are part of our nature, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with a routine. Uh,
0: uh, what? What? If there's nothing necessarily wrong with the routine then why are you preaching a sermon about getting out of the cage of Huh notice that from the beginning this sermon has gone terribly wrong.
2: Why do we have routines? Well I was thinking about, you know, the routine about where you sit. I guess we we like consistency and that's the same with my devotional time. We like consistency. The routine about shaving, I think that's effectiveness or efficiency. I, I just get it done faster that way and better and, and less cuts. And uh, the routine about um, the elk, I guess that's about safety. So routines can be about consistency and efficiency and safety. Nothing necessarily wrong with a routine.
0: Yeah, because there isn't <laughs> Can you find a passage anywhere in the scripture that says something like, Thou shalt not have a routine. Thus saith the Lord. If thou havest a routine, I shall grab the holy hand grenade of Antioch and shall count to three and blow you to smithereens. There's no passages like this at all. There is no passage that talks about the bane of routine.
3: Ah,
2: but there can be negative things about routines. Really? For one thing, a routine can, uh, hypnotize you. Not that!
0: Oh no, it's the hypnotic routine!
2: I was coming back from Burns after a fun day of chucker hunting a couple of years ago and got in a snowstorm. And have you ever been driven a deal like that and your lights are on and they have to be on bright to see anything and all these snowflakes and it's just sameness everywhere. You it just it just almost puts you in a trance. A routine can neutralize you.
0: Oh no, not neutralizing routines.
2: Um Jesus said, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. <laughs>
0: oh, man. How many times have we talked about John chapter 10, verse 10? 10, completely taken out of context. See, Jesus said he came to give us life to the fullest, you know, that you might have life abundantly. Ergo, ipso facto, that means... Jesus is somehow tacitly saying routines, especially the hypnotic trans-like routines, could be bad for you. How is this a Christian sermon? A routine can actually turn
2: us into a zombie.
0: No! No, not... I had no idea that a routine could turn me into a zombie. Oh, no. Oh, I I don't even like eating brains. A routine
2: can putrefy you. It can stagnate you if it becomes. Uh,
0: I'm getting. (laughs) I'm you know what? Here's the problem is that I have all these suspenseful music clips that I could be playing right now. But the problem is, is that if I keep doing it, then I'm falling into a routine. You because know, the routine of, like, pressing these buttons where I've got these, uh, you know, these sounds. I may be falling into a routine. I feel kind of like a zombie in a trance. Oh, no. Who's going to set me free from this routine that I've become ensnared in? Gasp! Yes, I need a savior, somebody who can save me from the routine. It becomes a
2: routine-ism, a, a way of life that contains no spontaneity at all. I like what John Ortberg said, there are few things sadder than stagnation. Not many people plan a vacation to the Dead Sea. You ever been there? It's kind of cool going there, but man, it stinks. You know, you can get in a routine and it could have been good at first and it can just really stink. It can be a stinking routine. It's easy to lose the wonder of life. It's easy to lose the joy of salvation. It's easy to lose the mystery of life, the excitement of life. Even spiritual things can become routine. Well, what is the antidote for routinism? This is what I'm proposing this morning. Here it is. Follow the wild goose. I,
0: I can't believe he actually delivered that without completely cracking up. I mean, how, does he, how did he deliver that with a straight face? I. Oh, no, there's the solution for routineism. You see, because that's what we've got to look out for. We've got to look out for routinism. What's the solution? Follow or chase? The wild goose. Oh, brother.
2: The best antidote for routinism is to follow the wild goose. Take out your uh, outlines there, will you, and grab a pen with me and... uh... You probably know, unless you're new this morning, and welcome to you if you're new. I've been meeting so many new people. You probably know that God is talking to this church about loving him for the whole first part of this year. About pers-
0: What? Huh? God is talking to this church about loving him? Is it me, or does that sound like uh, Kent Johnson has uh, been receiving direct communication from the throne of god outside of the word of god
2: huh pursuing him and seeking him and loving him and this fits so well into the context of that this
0: series on the wild goose chase and um, yeah by the way wild goose chase i <sighs> why do i feel like satan is up there just cracking i'm well not up there down here that satan's out there just laughing you know, him and you know, his buddy Beelzebub were sitting there, you know, having a, you know, in enjoying an adult beverage and a cigarette. Going, all right, so all right, what's our what's our next plan? What what? And Beelzebub goes, hey, I got an idea. Oh, okay, wh- okay, what's the idea? All right, here's what we're gonna do. You you know that term wild goose chase? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Here's what I'm gonna do. I, you know, it, it basically means being involved in something completely futile and stupid, right? 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 Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, wild goose chase. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to deceive this church and you know and like a whole bunch of Christians out there, and I'm going to feed them this line that chasing the wild goose means something good, and and you can just see Satan going, is that possible? Are you? I don't think you could pull that off. I mean, you're going to actually get people to believe that. Going on a wild goose chase is a good thing, right? And they're going to preach this in church from the pulpit, right? All right, I—I I, I tell you what, I bet you—I don't know what what do, what do demons bet each other, but they 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 put some wager out, you know, to see if the you know this demon could actually get churches to preach from the pulpit that a wild goose chase is a good thing. That's—I'm sure that's how the conversation
2: went. It's just, um. We're talking about chasing after the Holy Spirit. And it was about eight months ago I came across a book. I'd never read this author. Linda had read one of his books, but I'd never read, called Mark Batterson, called Wild Goose Chase. And, uh, man, it shook all of my cages. It rattled my cages. And uh, one of our pastors knows Pastor Mark Batterson, who pastors in Washington, D.C., And uh, so Mark had done an introduction to the book And uh, Mark actually sent us out the introduction So I'll just let him explain the concept to you
4: My name is Mark Batterson, author of Wild Goose Chase And I want to say thanks for taking a couple of moments And letting me tell you about what Wild Goose Chase is all about I'm actually in Celtic country at the ancient ruins of a church that stood here in the seventh century. It was about the fifth century that Christianity made its way into Britain and Scotland and Ireland. And the Celtic people had a very primal experience with God, a love of nature and a love of God's creation. And I think for those reasons, they had an interesting name for the Holy Spirit. They called him on god gloss or the wild goose and and when you first hear that name it it almost sounds a little sacrilegious at first earshot but i love the connotations a wild goose cannot be tracked or tamed there's an air of mystery or a hint of unpredictability or an element of danger that surrounds a wild goose and and i think it really is a great description of what it means to live a spirit-led life. It feels like a wild goose chase. You're not going to know where you're going most of the time, and for many of us, that causes tremendous circumstances. We're not going to know where we're going, and what? that's a good thing? Uh... Circumstantial uncertainty and, and, and anxiety, but, but here's the thing. Circumstantial uncertainty goes by another name, and we call it adventure and and i just wonder if our in- yeah
0: i just wonder where in the bible does it promise christians will live a life of circumstantial uncertainty aka adventure where is this great doctrine the missing doctrine of spirit-led adventure i uh, just not seeing it in the bible
4: institutionalized version of christianity hasn't clipped the wings of the wild goose and if we aren't missing out
0: you know what that's just ridiculous institutionalized christianity has clipped the wings of the wild goose that's a, if if the wild goose is supposedly the holy spirit then he's completely inept and powerless and impotent really yeah i, I just don't think so i this uh, notice the propaganda slogan there slap on you know what basically what that probably means is you can probably find the truth in like a good institutionalized church like a confessional lutheran church <clears throat> little plug
4: there what god originally intended I, I know that in my own personal life if you take the holy spirit out of my life my life spells boring but if you add
0: yeah but your life doesn't spell biblical that's the thing your life isn't one of the stories in the bible now is it mark
4: Adam, into the equation of your life all bets are off you never know who you're gonna meet what you're gonna do where you're gonna go and uh, And that is the adventure of the wild goose chase and so
0: I just want to point something out here. We are eight minutes into the sermon, and um, so far there 's only been one very veiled reference to a passage of scripture. supposedly Jesus wants you to have an abundant life, and that means that he doesn 't want you to be. Caught in the cage of routine. Yeah, the problem is John 10 doesn't teach that at all. So it's a out-of-context, eisegeted passage. Again, what's where did this sermon go wrong? It went wrong from the word go. Why? Because it didn't begin in Scripture. This guy is not actually opening up the Scriptures and teaching us what the Scriptures say, what God has said in His Word. Instead, he starts off in his own thing and now we're we're off chasing gooses and uh, rather than actually understanding God's word and actually hearing from God, this is all done by the way, in the name of God too, because you know you know Mark Battison you know said that the you know the on God gloss thing you know that the ancient Celtics they talked about you know the Holy Spirit is a wild goose, so that makes it biblical. No, it doesn't. it makes it stupid.
4: I think as I sit here today, um, it, it symbolizes you know what is this kind of institutionalized Christianity that that can be pretty innocuous and, and it's safe and it's predictable and it's civilized. And- what is this
0: Christianity that's completely unpredictable, not biblical, non doctrinal? I mean this isn't even Christianity. this is just make up, choose your own adventure Christianity choose your own doctrine, in christianity fill in the blank christianity i mean y'all remember those um, oh what were those things called the um where you had to fill in the blanks where there's words uh, mad libs they they were called mad libs you know you, you know it says fill in noun here verb there uh, adjective here adverb there and at you know you, you basically just tell people to you know, give them random things and then at the end of it, everyone laughs as you read the story with all these bizarre words that don't really fit it because <laughs> it's so funny when you do that. This is, this is mad lib Christianity. Just fill in your fill in the blank as to what you want to believe, teach, confess, preach, proclaim. Just make it up as you go along and we'll call it and to justify it, we'll say that, oh, you're being spirit led when you do that. No, you're not. Because God the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the Bible. You're not being spirit-led when you're out freewheeling it and off-roading spiritually and making up your own Christian adventure. That's not following the Holy Spirit. You're chasing the wind. And it's not the Holy Spirit. You're off in some spiritual adventure, but you're not in Christianity at this point.
4: Yet I think there's something deep down inside that longs for something... That's more primal, that's more adventurous, that, that really is more in touch with who God is. And, and so. You
0: know what's really sad is that I can actually picture Batterson in a Celt while listening to this.
4: <sighs> wild Goose Chase is an invitation into the adventure of chasing the wild goose.
2: And that's where God's got us right now. He said, you never know where you're going to go or who you're going to meet or what you're going to do. And part of you probably goes, "Ugh," but there's a deeper part of you that goes,
0: wow, this is something primal. This is something. The, the appeal to the deeper part of me, by the way, Jesus said regarding our hearts out of the heart comes all kinds of wicked sinfulness, you know, adultery, lying, stealing, cheating, stealing. You know, it's out of the heart that it's the things that come out of our heart that make us unclean. So I'm not looking for anything deeper inside of me to somehow validate this wild goose chase because the deeper thing that's inside of me that might validate the, the wild goose chase might actually just be my sinful nature going yeah I hate routine I I don't want to do the routine thing because you know what what happens in a routine well in a routine you serve your neighbor you go to work and you serve your neighbor in your vocation you uh, what happens in your routine wives you you serve your husbands and your children husbands you serve your wife and your neighbor it you see in the routine is where the good works happen that God has called us to book
2: of Acts, this is something that my spirit longs for so i'm inviting you on the adventure uh
0: where is this adventure described again in the Bible? Um, Ken, just a little confused here because uh, so far you've only given us one verse completely out of context. By the way, he's got another passage coming up uh, from the book of Exodus that he's going to completely mangle. So stay tuned.
2: If we follow the Holy Spirit, he's going to lead us to some thin places. That's another Celtic tradition a term for a place where the supernatural and the natural collide
0: so you're you're making this claim that the holy spirit the wild goose is going to lead us to quote thin places and your source for this little tidbit of spiritual information is the celtic people not the bible Right. Okay. Just want to point this out that this isn't grounded in the Bible. That claim comes from outside of the Bible, because we all know how spiritual those Celts were,
2: where heaven and earth come up against one another. We may still be even seeing through a glass darkly, but we're just window pane away from something we've never seen before and i want to this morning i want to go with you and put ourselves into a story about a man named moses who came to
0: you want us to do what you want us to put ourselves into the story of moses isn't putting myself into the story of moses uh basically the equivalent of uh, what we call eisegesis reading something in i'm not in the story of moses Okay, just want to make that clear. Moses, what are we talking about? 1446 B.C.? Chris Roseborough, 2010 A.D.? Moses and I are separated by a pretty wide gap chronologically, and not only that, geographically. I mean, Moses, you know, ancient Egypt and uh, Sinai and and Canaan. Chris Roseborough, pretty much a product of, um, you know, 20 and 21st century America, North America. They hadn't even discovered I can't stick myself into Moses' story. No, oh, it's
2: ridiculous. To a thin place. If you take your Bible and turn to Exodus 3, verse 1. Exodus 3, verse 1. And while you're turning, this is about Moses, and although earlier in his life he had had a and experience with God and saw his purpose for being on the planet and thought, I think I'm the one that God's going to use to save a bunch of people and help a bunch of people and deliver a bunch of people. He's now been on hold for 40 years and he's been a shepherd. And really, can you think of anything more boring? Bah,
0: bah. Okay, notice what he just did there. See, Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years. Ah, so apparently Exodus chapter 3 is all about how God's going to free him from the cage of routine and take him on the spirit-led adventure of a lifetime. Yeah, no. There ain't nobody nowhere that's ever read the Bible this way.
2: Ah, boring. (laughs) Boring. A one-word vocabulary. He's around thousands of entities that all have a one-word vocabulary. And uh, God leads him to a thin place. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. Although there was no sign there that said mountain of God. This is... Moses actually writing this later. He said, he calls it, it was actually the mountain of God. I just thought it was a sheep pasture, but uh, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, the Lord called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing right now. You're in a thin place.
0: What? Moses is in a thin place. Now, watch what he's doing here. He's allegorizing and spiritualizing the story. He's not going to really tell you what the story teaches. I mean, I don't think he even knows. But what is he doing? You see, just just the same way God led Moses to a thin place, Thin place, supposedly being where heaven and earth are, you know, are intersecting, and you know, I think where the membrane between the spiritual and the physical is is really, really thin. <sighs> I don't even think that's a biblical way of describing things. Uh, but so, so, and it's supposedly now, see what 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 was God doing? He was setting Moses free from routine. Yeah. See, the problem is, is that this story is not about how God is setting Moses free from routine. I mean, if anything. If you read the whole story and Moses kind of gets the short end of the stick here. I mean, he becomes the leader of this, the children of Israel and God sets them free from their slavery and bondage to Pharaoh. That's the real story here. How God sets them free from bondage to Pharaoh. This is not a story about how God sets Moses free from the, bondage of routine because when they get out into the wilderness when they get out into the desert after the children of israel have been set free by the powerful working hand of yahweh uh, what happens is the children of israel respond in disbelief they respond with no faith and they grumble and they complain and it's just one odyssey after another. They rebel against God. They end up, oh, it's just uh, Moses, poor Moses. I mean, he's pulling his hair out half the time. Having to intercede on their part to keep God from destroying them. Yeah, quite an adventure. Thanks, yeah. This it's, this is not the story of Moses' adventure and how he was set free from The bondage of routine of being a shepherd.
2: This is holy ground. I love what Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote.
0: The poet? Yeah, because, you know, she's in the Bible just after the book of maps in 6 Corinthians. Earth's
2: crammed with heaven. And every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. So we can be just into the routine. I'm just out here picking blackberries. And there can be a burning
0: bush right there and we don't even see it. When I first Really? That's what this story is about, that we could be in a thin place and there could be a burning bush, allegorized by the way, some burning bush that God wants you to respond to and you don't even see it. Really. What's the point of it burning again if I'm not seeing it? This is just a, this is a complete, this is not how you read the Bible. This is just a complete mess.
2: Studied this 10, 20 years ago. This I was looking in the Hebrew and I saw that the burning bush is a word for common bush. God goes out of His way to say it was. There were air bushes everywhere. Sometimes you don't expect God to be there in the ordinary.
0: The story of the burning bush isn't about me. It's not. This is not paradigmatic. Think paradigm uh, to the Christian life. You know, God's waiting for you to have your burning bush experience and set you free from the cage of routine. Yeah, because that's what it says in Exodus chapter 3, man. Dude, you just got to, you know, read it with your spiritual lenses on your eyeballs because if you try to read it, you know, like the way the story reads, you'll kind of like miss all of this stuff because I'm interpreting it for you like on a higher spiritual plane allegorically, for sure.
2: Here here was a smoking sagebrush right there, one of millions of... God is saying, you know, you may call it common, but if I show up, everything changes. Everything changes. See, if you're going to follow the Holy Spirit, he's going to, the wild goose is going to lead us to some thin
0: places. He's going to lead us to some new places. By the way, no passage of Scripture says that if you're going to chase the wild goose, he's going to lead you to thin places. Nowhere in the Bible does, does any such statement occur it only occurs in his spiritualized allegorized completely ripped out of context and misread on an isogeted uh, text from exodus 3 but it ain't there
2: we're going to learn to make spirit led turns it says moses turned aside if you know about geese they can just turn on a dime the wind is like that it's unpredictable it's spontaneous And you have to go with the wind. In other words, I don't think Moses got up this day and had in his outlook task, 8.30 a.m., burning bush. I think this was a bit of a surprise for him, bit of spontaneity. And he had to turn aside because the Spirit turned aside. The other day, about a week ago, I was praying in my office at home on my knees, praying. And in the middle of my prayer, God spoke
0: something that came from just like another direction and said, Ah, he's getting direct revelation from God, supposedly, which explains why he's not really teaching the Bible. He's he's getting information from other sources, but it's not the Holy Spirit that he's getting information from. He
2: said... Get up right now and go write a letter to such and such a person just a little short note and i went over and i did it and then i showed it to linda and i said do you agree with this she said yes and she signed it and we sent it about five days later i met that person in redmond not just came across that person and she said you and linda sent that note at you will not believe god's timing how it was the right time that's the holy spirit but you got to be willing to take a turn you got to be willing to turn on your blinker when the Holy Spirit says to.
0: You say, well, that's easy. No, not necessarily, because he's been, he's been following. Where in the Bible does it say I have to be willing to turn on the blinker when the Holy Spirit says take a turn? It doesn't. This is not Christian doctrine. This is not Christian preaching. This guy's just making stuff up. I'm glad that your letter, that you had this premonition to send a letter and that it helped somebody at just the right time, but that doesn't prove it's from the Holy Spirit at all.
2: On the same path, the same routine with these sheep for 40 years, some of his paths had probably become ruts. And so he, he turned aside. You got to be willing to do that. He turned away from his job Some of us say,
0: oh, this is a complete mangling of Exodus 3. Unbelievable.
2: These days, I just wish I had a job. But he turned away. I mean, you got to wonder, did the sheep just keep going? Did he feel pressure to say, hey, listen, I got to stay with the sheep. There's always something that says, no, no, you don't have time for this when you come to the thin places, and you got to be willing to turn.
0: Where does it say that in the Bible again?
2: You think about the word routine.
0: Uh, here comes some uh, biblical language work. Not really.
2: You see any other words in that word? Route. Out. In. Ten tour rut see it's so easy for a routine to become a rut so
0: and the way you got to that conclusion was by looking at the word routine and playing with the word and finding what other words are in the word routine oh good night
2: Someone said a rut is just a grave with both ends kicked out.
0: <laughs> and where does it say that in the Bible? Again. Because, you know, you can be a Christian and actually be enslaved to another person. What does the Apostle Paul say? Slaves, obey your masters as you would the Lord. Boy, I bet you those slaves had some pretty rotten, rutty routines, don't you think? How come God didn't send them to a thin place with a burning bush to set them free from the routine of uh, being in the rut, of being a slave? Instead, it tells them to obey their masters as they would the Lord. See, it does this, this, this theology doesn't even make any sense because it's not biblical theology. This is, guy is not teaching the Bible. It's so easy for a rut to
2: become a grave. I looked up the definition of routine. I was kind of surprised to see um, the, the definition of routine. A repetition of words or sounds without attending to the signification. You don't get the significance. It sounds without significance. Bah, bah. I mean, we live in a cacophony of sounds. We got our TV going. We got our radio going. We got our iPods going. We've got, you know, it's just there's sound everywhere. And every miracle Jesus did was a miracle, but it was also a sign. And Jesus said, You saw the miracle, but you missed the sign. Turn here. Slow down. Speed up. Put in gear. We can have the sounds without the sign. We can go to church and sing the songs. We can do the stuff. We can have all the stuff going on. But when we lose that sensitivity that says, get up from praying, from praying, yes, go do my assignment, kneel down,
0: turn left, turn right. This is nothing but pure, unadulterated, Subjectivity. Notice he's putting down those churches. Well, they sing hymns and, you know, they have a liturgy or they follow a routine every Sunday. Oh, that's not what Christ wants. He wants you to be spontaneous. Where does it say that in the Bible?
2: We hear the sounds. But you miss the sign. So how do you get out? How do you and I get out of this rut of routine? Well, let me get... Oh, yeah, please set me free. Calgon, take me away. Give you a couple ways that I see in this story. The first way, and it's going to take change. Say that word, change. Say it again, change. Turn to somebody and say, get ready to change. Go ahead, just tell them.
0: Get them ready. Really, Exodus chapter 3 tells me that I have to change so that I can get out of the rut of routine. This Exodus chapter 3 isn't about God setting Moses free from routine. It's about God setting the children of Israel free from the slavery to Pharaoh. Talk about missing the forest because of a tree. I mean, it's not even a tree. It's an invisible tree, a tree of your own making. It's a tree of imagination. Change. Hmm. Spirit-led
2: change. The first way to come out of the, ru- ru- the cage of routine is a change of place. A change of place. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but so many times we become petrified in our position. Oh, no! And Moses turned aside... He changed his latitude, and God changed his attitude.
0: Oh, that's ridiculous. That is just... Seriously, what on earth? (laughs) Apparently, we can't even string two coherent biblical thoughts together because we haven't even had a first biblical thought yet. Good night. He had a change of latitude, and God changed his attitude. (laughs) That's not actually biblical teaching at all. It's a slogan.
2: He changed his position, and God changed his perspective. Oh, I didn't plan on having this meeting today. Oh, I didn't plan on having you resurrect that
0: dead dream. I didn't Uh, plan. This this sounds to me like a sermon advocating, uh, you know, an aboriginal spirit walk. Seriously? Plan on this. And it had a lot to
2: do with looking at life from a different place. See, he had had that dream to be the deliverer, and now his dreams have died. Listen, this room is full of people whose dream from God has
0: died. Oh, no. What is these people's preoccupation with us having personal dreams and visions? Good night. And you are settling for survival.
2: And if you will follow the wild goose, you will refuse to settle
0: to survive. You will thrive. Yeah, and here's the worst part about this. People, after attending this church and hearing this sermon, thought that they actually were learning the Word of God.
2: But it'll be scary. It'll be as different and mysterious as a resurrection.
0: And... (laughs) Oh, just throw in a resurrection. See, when you say the word resurrection, all oh, that proves this is a biblical sermon. No, it's not. He just used the word resurrection to kind of make it the sermon look biblical-ish. And God resurrects that
2: dead dream because he turned aside on a dime and followed the Holy Spirit. A change of place. See, a different place gives you a different viewpoint. Maybe if you were in a different place, you'd see the super in the natural.
0: Are you serious? If you're in a different place, you can see the super in the natural. This is just gobbledygook.
2: Perhaps if you and I were in a different place, we'd see the extra in the
0: ordinary. The... I mean, are these amen lines? Oh, if we could just get to a different place, we could see the super in the natural. We could see the extra in the ordinary. Can't wait to hear the next one. The fire in the bush. (laughs) Yeah, I I know it. I'm sorry. I don't know what he was thinking.
2: Don't don't downplay this thing. I'll tell you, position is big, being willing to change your point of perspective. So I talked about where you sit and where you park. What if, what except for those of you in the front, I love you, God bless you, you make me not feel lonely. Don't you change. But the rest of you, what if, what if you sat over there instead of over here? What if you sat back there instead of up there, or up there instead of back there? What if you just next week came and said, you know, I'm going to see what the left side of Pastor Ken's face looks like, you know, and just...
0: Oh, no, no. Serious? So one of the big points is change where you've been sitting at church. You know, if you're sitting on the right side, go sit on the left side. Yeah, that'll show God just how holy you are. <laughs> I mean, the Holy Spirit, that's some thats some serious leading from the Spirit. You know what I mean? The goose, I chased it all the way to the other side of the sanctuary. And now I can see what the left side of my pastor looks like. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I never knew I could have such an adventure. That might be a
2: hundred foot dangerous trip for you to go sit in a different place here. Or you might go further and go to Haiti. When we send a team down to take the money that God put on our heart to give to those people, make sure those people get the help. I tell you, people go on a mission trip and it changes their lives. You can't come back to this little bubble called America that's burst recently, by the way. So we are looking at things with a little more. But you can't come back and not be changed. You just go, oh, my God, there's a world in need of Christ. I can't live in that little. Mat-
0: yeah, there's a whole world in need of Christ, including the people in your congregation. Why aren't you preaching about him and actually telling us what the Bible really says? Instead of making up this wild goose chase stuff, wild goose poop.
2: Materialistic bubble anymore. Change of latitude might change our attitude. A change of place might change our perspective. Second way we could come out of the cage of routine is a change of pace. For some of us, God would say, "You're stuck. You can't follow me in neutral. put it in gear. In other words, put it in O, not for overdrive, but for obedience. Listen, what has God said
0: oh that would be lost off <sighs> Law
2: said to you that you haven't done. don't expect him to say anything else
0: till you do what he already said to do. What about you, pastor? Um, let me back that up so you can hear this in context. I want you to hear what he's saying would say you're stuck. You
2: can't follow me in neutral. put it in gear in other words. Put it in O, not for overdrive, but for obedience. Listen, what has God said to you that you haven't done? Don't expect him to say anything else till you do what he
0: already said to do. Why doesn't this apply to you then, Pastor? And you're sitting here going, really? What? What is it that he's not doing? Well, he's disobeying God. Okay, because the, the scriptures themselves, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, had some words, uh, there were some words that were written that tell a pastor what to do. Second Timothy chapter 4, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers who s- to suit their own passage, uh, passions and to turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This entire sermon about wild goose chasing is not preaching the word, he's teaching you mythology. God did not come to set you free from your routine. He came to set you free from sin, death, and the devil by dying on the cross for your sins. So you're telling these people to obey, yet you, Pastor Ken, aren't obeying what God has commanded you to do in his word. Are you exempt from preaching God's word correctly? Are you exempt from preaching sound doctrine because you're chasing gooses? Geeses? Well, yeah, you get what I'm saying. No, you're not exempt. put it in obedience
2: get it in gear for a lot of us it's going to mean to slow down this is huge i don't know how the sheep kept going but moses had to slow down he had to say you know we live in a we live in a world i studied one time all the here i ams in the bible that's what that's what Abraham said when God told him to sacrifice Isaac, here I am. That's what Moses said. When I, if you stay, the here I am. You know, we don't even have a here, here I am in our language. It's so fast it's there I was. God got him to slow down enough to just say, I'm still. I'm here. And uh, we're going to take just a minute right now. And Casey and Chris are just going to help us just do what practice what we're preaching right now and just be still.
0: Alright, here comes some music to be still by. I'll play some of it.
3: Still know that he
0: is God. I'm having a hard time being still. I I Feeling an itch, it must be a rash coming upon me. Be still, know that He is holy.
1: Be still, rest the soul of mine. Bow before the Prince of Peace.
3: Let the noise and clamor.
0: I'm done being still (sighs) okay fast forwarding here father I remember the moment
2: 32 years ago when I was in a service like this and you said I'm here to collect and you brought back to me a vow I'd made 20 years earlier God I pray that we'd follow the Holy Spirit these days and let him take us to thin places
0: if you want to follow the Holy Spirit open your Bible and read it The Holy Spirit inspired all of those words. If you want to hear from God, start reading the Bible out loud.
2: Help us. You know, I learned to follow those little impulses even between different services, and I haven't said this in any other service.
0: Oh, you're so holy. I'm so glad you learned how to follow those little impulses. Wow. Can I be like you?
2: But there's a thing I do once or twice a week when God leads me to, and I have kind of a place for my private devotions, my office at home, and I go lay down on the floor, just lay down like this, just lay down on the floor and just, just lay there and say, God, as much as my body is on this floor, I'm resting on you. You are trustworthy. And almost always then, he'll lead me. Strange thing, it's been for just a year or two, to do some deep breathing. Try it. Just take a deep breath and hold it for a minute.
0: So you're having everybody do this because you think that God told you to engage in deep breathing, so you want them to have the same experience you did because God told you to do this. Where in the Bible does it tell us to engage in deep breathing? Again, uh, Ken, your job is to actually preach the Word. I have yet to see you really doing it, or do it here. You're not definitely not doing it in this sermon.
2: <sighs> that lets the oxygen, and that's why we stretch and yawn, by the way, just sign God's help to get the oxygen all the way out there to everywhere. Deep breathing, they say, is a sign of relaxation. We can go a whole day without breathing deep. Once.
0: When I sigh deeply when I hear a pastor say something really dumb or unbiblical, does that count?
2: God says, Relax. Cast your cares on me. The Bible says, Don't be anxious about anything, but let your request be known to God. Put it there. Boy, do we ever need stillness? Slow down. Sometimes it's a change of pace. Change of place and change of pace can change our perspective. I'm slowing down these days. I mean, this is a miracle. I know I'm getting older, but it—I don't feel like it has anything to do with that. It's God saying, "I want you to simplify your life," Uh, and I'm saying,
0: "Where in the Bible does it say that God wants us to simplify our lives?" Some people their lives get simpler, and some people their lives get more complicated. For instance, like my children, Okay, I've I have three children. My wife and I, we've had three of them. Uh, One boy, he's in the Navy, and uh, two girls. And quite frankly, I don't want their lives to get simpler. I want them to get more complicated. I want them to progress along the complication route so that they go to college and get a job and that their lives are complicated with the routine of a career. That way I don't have to pay for them forever. You, you see, I, last thing I want is a 35-year-old child of mine that's been living in my home for all of their lives and then have them turn around and say something to me like, Well, Dad, God told me that I need to keep my life simple. And getting a career would just complicate things. And so I've decided to keep my life so simple I'm just going to sit here and sponge off of you for the rest of my life. I would basically say to that child, well, God told me to throw your butt out on the street and lock the door and take away your keys. Go get a job.
2: No to some unbelievable opportunities and invitations. And I've got about eight on my list right now that I'm saying, God, I'm not going to say yes until I get an absolute green light. If I don't get a green light, I'm going to say no. And, And I'm beginning to see the effects of having a little more margin in your life. I believe God's saying to the church, slow down.
0: That's great. If he, God were telling to the church to slow down, don't you think he'd say it? It would be in his word somewhere, right? Church, slow down, thus saith the Lord. Right? The, you're just preaching your imagination there, Ken. Spend
2: time with me. It's unbelievable how much difference a a two-and-a-half-foot change of altitude can make in your perspective. From here, things look different. God seems bigger and problems seem smaller. Up here, problems seem bigger and God seems smaller. Not only latitude, but even altitude can change our attitude. Well, let's see. What were they? The first way to get out of the cage of routine was a change of what? Place. And the second way was a change of what? Okay, get ready for this third one because this is a little sticky. Change of plans.
0: Oh boy. You
2: know, planning, as we said, isn't intrinsically wrong. Proverbs sixteen nine says we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. But there is such a thing as overplanning. You got any, uh, I'm one of them, any any other worriers in here? It's just so easy to worry. Let me see your hands, just, yeah. God said to me a while ago, and I've mentioned this before, that God said to me, you actually overplan.
0: Aren't you glad that God said that to him so that all the worriers in there can hear that from God? where does it say that in the Bible? I mean, don't you think if that was such an important message for all of the body of Christ to hear, that God would have put it in the Bible so that Christians everywhere could hear it? Hmm? And your planning
2: goes beyond being wisdom-based and becomes fear-based. Because you're actually worried, I'm not going to come through. So you make all these alternatives and all these plans, almost setting it up for me to not come through. And I have a word that's shown up in my journal quite a bit in the last two years. It's planic, P-L-A-N-I-C. It's a combination of plan and panic. <laughs> and God said to me, when the lion roars, don't run. Jesus said, there'll be times you'll be taken before magistrates
0: and don't plan all your words. The whole. Okay, did you catch that? I'm, I want you to watch what he just did. I'm going to back this up just a little bit, and here's what you're listening for. You ready? Apparently, the direct revelation he's getting from God is on par with the words of Christ recorded for us in the Scripture. He quotes them side by side. Listen carefully.
2: Almost setting it up for me to not come through. And I have a word that's shown up in my journal quite a bit in the last two years. It's planic, P-L-A-N-I-C. It's a combination of plan and panic. (laughs) And God said to me, when the lion roars, don't run.
0: Okay, that's the first instance. So God says to him, when the lion roars, don't run. Now watch, side by side with this direct revelation from God is an actual passage of Scripture from Jesus. Jesus said
2: there'll be times you'll be taken before magistrates and don't plan all your words. The Holy Spirit will give you the words
0: when you get there. So apparently the folks there at, uh, uh, let's see, what's the name of this, West Side Church in Bend, Oregon, they have a living prophet whose word is on par with the revealed word of God. He quotes direct revelation that he gets from God side by side with actual passages from the Bible. Yeah, if, this is, if you attend a church and your pastor's pulling this kind of stuff, leave quickly, leave very quickly, God could cause the roof to come down in his judgment and wrath on that place.
2: Well, you, spontaneity is a big part of discipleship,
0: but you got to really, where in the Bible does it say that again? Spontaneity, spontaneity, and nothing's coming to mind anywhere in the New Testament.
2: You got to leave room for the burning bush. You got to have an eye for the burning bush. I can plan out, I said this recently, I can, I can have 16 hours of back-to-back stuff lined out at the start of the day. And the Holy Spirit just says, wow, you grieve me. There's no room for me to work there. Oh, you want me to work in your meetings and your stuff. You want me to bless what you're doing, but the key to this is doing what I'm Blessing.
0: Oh, there's Blackaby. Oh, yeah, the thing that's beating at the in the heart of all the seeker-driven guys. Wow, this is bad.
2: Follow me. Someone wrote me an email about a month ago and said, you know, I was so caught up and actually so worried about discerning God's will that I actually kind of froze myself. Oh, I don't want to do the wrong thing, so I wasn't doing anything. And she said, I was having a deep personal time with the Lord one day recently, and he said, you just love me. You seek me. You spend time with me. You pursue me, and you will automatically follow my direction for your life. We can be wrestling so much about discerning his will, worrying so much about doing the right thing, that we forget that God wants to get you where he wants you to go more than you want to get where he wants you to go. Just stay in sync with the Holy Spirit, and you'll get where God wants you to go. What are some of the ruts we get stuck in? Worship, Isaiah twenty nine, thirteen. These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is nothing but man made rules learned by rote. Rote and rut are pretty close. The Bible says sing a new song. No, they're not how long has it been since you sang a new song in the car in the shower just a new song to god that came out of your heart and just sang it to him god is shaking us these days about you know we plan the services oh cross out services and put gatherings because god's saying yeah even services is a word that's got plasticated church services no, this is just a gathering of a couple thousand different people that all have something going on. If you're a seeker, you're not there yet, still the Holy Spirit's working in your life. If you're a Christ follower and, and, and you really don't want to go any deeper and you're stuck where you are, still God's working in your life. If you're passionate for Christ, I mean, this is, this is like, All together on a weekend, two or 3,000 people that have their own thing going on with God and we bring it all together, it's a gathering. But God's been working with us and saying, yes, plan things, but you be careful. I want to put a holiness on this thing that you can't produce when you gather. When you bring the little fires of what God's doing in your life all together, this place ought to blow up in worship. And he's just telling us, "Just, just don't miss the primitive, primal, basic thing I want to do. Don't you program yourself out of that. Work can become a rut. Moses, 40 years as a sheep herder, are you still creative at work or are you in a rut at work? Bible reading become a rut. For nine years now I've been reading ready, set, go. Some days when I don't have enough time, I'll do ready or set. Most days I do go. But I read in a different translation, different
0: years. And it just helps me
2: not get in a rut.
0: My aunt learns you might do better to just get into a rut because this sermon, this ain't even in the biblical groove. <sighs> Spanish, and
2: she said that when she read the Spanish Bible, she had to translate every word. She had to be the translator into English thinking from Spanish, and she said she got the gold dust all over just breaking up those words and translating them. Whatever you do, if you're just reading the Bible saying, that's my religious duty, and there's no life and dynamic in that anymore, ask God to get you out of that rut. If you're just coming to church... And and you just go, well, I'll put in my hour and 15 minutes there, and that'll be it, and I know what's going to happen. God help us. Annie Dillard said, we ought to strap seatbelts on when we come to church. It should be explosive. And and again, it's not something that you can plan and say, oh, that's really cool, they did that. It's not even about that. In the book of Acts, it was, we met God. We've been meeting God in our individual lives, and when we put our experiences together, Wow.
0: Really, what chapter of Acts is that in? That doesn't even sound like a remotely accurate description of the content of the book of
2: Acts. (sighs) There was a huge, huge burst of energy. Prayer can become a rut. I remember I'd been a Christian for years, and some I got around these crazy people that were talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, not just having the Holy Spirit when you get saved, but actually being soaked in Holy Spirit. And I remember when that happened to me, what it did to my prayer life. All of a sudden, these little phrases that I prayed almost every time I prayed just went out the window, and I was praying these fresh new things in these fresh new ways. Okay, so change of what?
0: First place, and then what? Okay, keep in mind, uh, this entire sermon is not biblically sound from beginning to end. One vague, you know, mention of the abundant life, an allegorical, spiritualized, misinterpretation, an version of Exodus 3, some other artificial Bible sprinkles thrown in for flavoring. Sure does like talking a lot about the things that God told him directly, though. And drawing conclusions and binding consciences, you know, to a a law that isn't even written in the Bible. Wow.
2: Pace, Pace and then what? Okay, and then finally the change of props. You know it had to start with P. I'm sorry. I just, I'm sick. So anyway, but that's actually, as I was studying, that's what came out to me. So forgive me, but... Jesus healed a man in the Bible, and uh, he asked this amazing question. I don't know if you've ever noticed it before. He said, do you want to be well? Well, duh. Who doesn't want to be healthy? I mean, what was Jesus doing? Do you know what he was saying? Do you want to be crutchless? If I heal this thing, you can't use that as the excuse for why you're not living God's fullness for your life anymore.
0: Uh, Notice he's somewhat sort of kind of vaguely... um References a sort of kind of passage somewhere in the Gospels? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, something tells me he's twisting this one really bad. That's okay. God talks to him directly. Who needs the Bible? Oh.
2: Crutches. Props. We all got props. We need props. And Moses comes up and God takes away his first prop, his very sandals. Pretty important to a shepherd in the desert because you get those cactus stickers in your feet if you don't have sandals. God says, take them off. Be vulnerable.
0: Seriously? He got his sandals back after the meeting was over. (sighs) That's a
2: very foundational thing, your sandals, but get out of there. I am your foundation, not your shoes.
0: God didn't say anything about being his foundation as opposed to his sandals. I'm sure that Moses was not going, you know, I can't take my sandals off. They're my very foundation of my soul. Not God. My sandals are. I worship my sandals every day. In fact, I put them in a little grotto and I bow down to my sandals every single day. And I say prayers to my sandals, too. This is ridiculous. <sighs>
2: And then look over at chapter 4, verse 2. That's not enough. Then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? Don't you just love God's question? He knows what's in his hand. He has questions for our sake, not for his sake. Uh, staff. And probably if you really study the story, you probably say, uh, st- 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 Staff. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Can you picture it? Moses, ah! Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Ooh, risky. God wants to make us dangerous.
0: God wants to make us dangerous, and he got that from Moses grabbing The tail of the snake that had been his staff. Oh, my goodness. That is just ridiculous. God wants to make us dangerous. I'm feeling dangerous. Chasing the wild goose with a Beretta 9mm. Although I prefer to have a forty-five in my hand nine millimeter, it might take a couple of rounds to take a goose out, but I'm feeling dangerous. See, it's right there in Exodus chapter three. You see what God said, what's that in your hand?
1: A staff, throw it on the ground, and it became a snake in front of him. He told him to grab it by the
0: tail. Yeah, man. Mo was being dangerous. God wanted Moses to be dangerous. I don't know how anybody can read this. Listen to this and take this guy seriously. What has happened to the pastors who are preaching God's word?
2: So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. A miracle. A lot of people want a miracle, but they don't want to grab a snake poison snake by the tail. See, there's often something before the miracle that's got to happen before the miracle.
0: Huh? <laughs> I I can't even diagram that sentence. What?
2: What's his staff? Well, for a shepherd, your staff. And that's your safety. That's your security. That's your identity. I am a shepherd. You know, that's your ability. I They used the crook to catch sheep that were caught and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of things about that staff. That's not just the staff. That's the same thing.
0: What's your staff? What's my staff? This is not... (laughs) Hang on a second here. (laughs) I'm losing it. (laughs) What on earth? Seriously. Come on. This is not a proper application of this passage. What's my staff? It would be a radio microphone, and I'm using it right now. Should I grab it by the tail so I can feel dangerous. What's the last staff God asked you to lay down? God hasn't asked me to lay down any staffs. This is just complete gobbledygook. This is nonsense. Could it be a position? Oh,
2: I don't know who I am if I'm not in that position. That's just my identity is all wrapped up in them. What if God says, step out of that? Could it be possessions? There's a lot of possessions evaporating these days. Have you noticed that? My balance sheet's a lot leaner than it was. Did you read the article about Ben being the worst place in the nation for what's happened to house housing values? The worst in the nation. Probably the worst in the nation for what's happened to the church, too. How do we get so lucky? And yet in every life in this room, God's working on a whole nother realm and saying, listen, maybe your staff is stuff.
0: How are you going to do without this? This is ridiculous. Exodus chapter 4, if you have your Bible, open it up to Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to do a little reading here. This is this, this is a complete misapplication, misreading of this passage. This passage isn't about your staffs or the things you got to lay down. This is ridiculous. You can't get there. I mean, seriously, evil Knievel could not jump this chasm of false biblical logic. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which I lovingly refer to as the English Sanctified Version. Verse 1. Then Moses answered, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. For the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, It's a staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. And it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. This has nothing about making Moses dangerous. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. And here's what God said. So that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Oh, so the reason God had Moses throw his staff on the ground was because he was giving him a miracle that he could do again. And the purpose of the miracle was to validate Moses's claim that he had met with and talked with God. The miracle was to validate the message Oh, I see. Right, exactly. It has nothing to do with any staff that you need to lay down. That's just, This is just complete poppycock. And again, the Lord said to him, get this, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. That, I mean, if he's going to be consistent, which hand do you have to put into your cloak? <laughs> um, Huh? You see, he had to lay down his staff. Now, what about putting your hand into a cloak? Which which of your hands do you need to put inside a cloak so that God can make it leprous? All right, so he put his hand inside of his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like, like the rest of his flesh. God said, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. So tell me, what's your Nile? What, what, what? Water from your Nile is God telling you to turn, take out and turn out, you know, pour out onto the ground so that it can become blood. You see, it doesn't make sense when you when you run it through like this. This guy is not teaching the Bible. He's twisting it, eisegeting it, spiritualizing it, allegorizing it, and he's not correctly teaching it at all. The purpose of the staff turning to the snake, the hand turning leprous, and the water being turned into blood was to validate that Moses had met with God and he had heard from God. God was giving him miracles to validate the message. We continue.
2: Stuff. What's going to be your foundation? Were you based in stuff? Maybe your staff is
0: your reputation. Ken, which which of your hands are you going to put into your cloak so that you can ha- so that God can turn it leprous? Come on, Ken, be consistent. Maybe you'd do
2: anything to save face. You hate to look bad in other people's eyes, and maybe God's saying, "Let go." Maybe it's your image. Maybe it's a person. Maybe you've got a Barack Obama staff. Maybe you've got, on the right side, a Bill O'Reilly
0: staff. Oh, no. Can you imagine somebody with a Barack Obama, Bill O'Reilly staff? Talk about a confused staff.
2: What if God says, that person is not your security?
0: What if God says to you, repent, Ken, and quit with this twisting of God's word and get back to actually teaching it correctly if you even know how?
2: He said to the rich young ruler, throw down your stuff, and he didn't do it. He couldn't follow. He wouldn't follow the wild goose. And if he hadn't thrown down his staff, he would have missed the first miracle. Are you stuck in a rut routine? Do you need to put it in gear? Put your life in the gear of obedience and do something God told you to do and you haven't done?
0: Why don't you tell us about what God has done for us in Christ? You know coming to earth, incarnate, God in human flesh, living a perfectly sinless life under the law, dying as our substitute on the cross for all of our sins, offering us salvation as a free gift, through faith, clothing us in the righteousness of Christ. Why don't you tell us about that instead of all this stuff that you're just making up? Apparently the God of your stomach is speaking. It's not the God of the Bible that we're hearing.
2: On the other hand, do you need to slow down and let your spirit catch up? I love that story of those natives that were carrying all the stuff, and the guide said, "Keep going." They said, "We got to slow down. Our bodies are tired, and we got to let our spirits catch up." I think that's almost a word of the Lord to the church these days.
0: You th- what? Some story about guys saying slow down so our spirits can catch up. Where's that in the Bible? And you claim that that's almost a word of the Lord to the church these days? What are you talking about? <sighs> slow down, let your spirit catch up. Have
2: even spiritual practices become predictable?
0: What? You- oh, you mean those false monastic practices like solace, solitude? The examen, the Lectio Divina, like they have any power to do anything.
2: What do you need to lay down and let go of in order to follow the wild goose?
0: Well, to follow the real biblical Holy Spirit, I would recommend that people in your church lay you down and uh, not follow you. Instead, go find a pastor who's going to correctly teach him what God's Word says. Just a recommendation. I love what
2: Batterson says in the book. You can stay in the cage and have everything and one day find out it's nothing. Or you can get out of the cage and follow the wild goose.
0: Oh, yeah, because, you know, Batterson's book is like on par with the Bible.
2: You were created to be part of something bigger and more important than you. And you are just one wild goose chase away from what God destined for you. Let's pray.
0: Would you bow your heads with me? Oh, thank you. We're done. Wow. So did you see how he completely mangled God's word? That was not biblical teaching at all. You didn't hear the voice of the true biblical Holy Spirit because you didn't hear the truth. Light and darkness don't exist together. True Christian doctrine is not taught through lying about God's Word and telling you stuff that it doesn't actually say. Binding your conscience to things that God's Word Never intended your conscience to be bound to. Binding your conscience to adventure and and a change of pace and somehow claiming that a rut is evil or bad or somehow it's not a good thing. God's word says nothing of the sort. Nowhere has God said such a thing. And his misreading of God's word didn't prove nothing. It may have proved that he doesn't know how to handle God's word at all. It does show that the guy is highly subjective, claims to be spirit-led, but he's not led by this same spirit that inspired the text of the Bible to be written. Otherwise, he wouldn't be contradicting what God's word teaches from his pulpit, would he? Food for thought. The biblical gospel is the good news that Christ died for your sins. The biblical story is about what God has done to rescue you. And take a look at the story of Moses. It's a shadow and a type of what Christ has done for us. We, like the children of Israel, were born in slavery. Born in slavery to sin, death, and the devil. Just like the, they were in slavery to Pharaoh. Just like they couldn't get They couldn't set themselves free. We can't set ourselves free. So God had to send somebody to deliver them and deliver them by a powerful hand and mighty works of God. In the same way, you and I, born in slavery to sin, death, and the devil, are set free by the powerful work of God Himself through our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, whom God sent to be a propitiation for our sins and to die on the cross to set us free from slavery to sin, death, and the devil. You'd think that that might potentially have been something that could come up. I mean, if the, if chasing the wild goose means chasing the Holy Spirit, but see, the Holy Spirit bears witness to Christ. That's his job. You know, let me let me pull up a passage real quick here. In John chapter 16, starting at verse 7, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, he says this. He's talking about his soon departure and that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. Listen. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus talking about when he sends the Holy Spirit. How do you know when the Holy Spirit's working? Not because someone's talking about having a wild goose chase or getting out of a rut. You know the Holy Spirit is working when people are being convicted of their sins. Being convicted of their unbelief. And being called to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit points us to... Christ. The Holy Spirit, the biblical Holy Spirit, third person of the Holy Trinity, doesn't point us to Himself and say, Come, follow me on a great adventure. The biblical Holy Spirit points us to Jesus Christ and He convicts us of our sin, our wretchedness, and our need for a Savior, and points us to Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins, not for an adventure but for salvation, for forgiveness, mercy, and love from God. You heard a lot of talk about chasing the wild goose, the so-called Holy Spirit in this sermon. But the the biblical Holy Spirit is different than the Holy Spirit that this guy was referring to. As different as light is from darkness, as truth is from error. He wasn't pointing you to the biblical Holy Spirit. Because the biblical Holy Spirit doesn't point us to adventure. He points us to Christ. Something to consider. All right, need to remind you while Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means that we depend upon your financial partnering with us so that we can continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons. We have one that says, join our crew. We have another one that says, donate. When you join our crew, it's $6.95 a month. And when you join, you get access to our Pirate Cove. Again, it's hardly anything at all to join. And uh, once we get to 1,000 listeners, then we've met our goal of first and foremost meeting our monthly, well, our need monthly, and then after that, well, we'll talk about that when when we burn that bridge. But anyway, and of course, if you'd like to uh, fill in the blank as to how much you would like to contribute to our cause, you can do so by clicking the donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. You can uh, email me if you like. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and the mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.